Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me JBay. Today, we're talking to my man, Alex McNaughton, about sales DNA and traits of successful reps. Super excited for the episode today. Uh, if you're checking out Blissful Prospecting for the first time, welcome. Again, my name's Jason. I really believe that outbound is a game of odds. And in order to get better results, we must make better decisions about how we decide to communicate with prospects in our cold outreach. So that's our cold emails, our cold calls, our LinkedIn voice messages, the video messages, whatever we decide to send to complete strangers. Uh, we need to get better at making decisions around how we decide to do that. And I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if that's something you're down with, you're in the right place. Today I'm talking to Alex. Really what we're going to dig into is a topic that I'm pretty fascinated with, um, sales DNA. And it's it's kind of this whole you know kind of debate around are salespeople born or are they made? Personally, I believe it's a combination of the two. I, I rarely go one way when it comes to polarizing things like that. I do believe that salespeople are more made than born, but the underlying belief that I have, just having gone through a lot of therapy and being really interested in psychology, is that most people are made. There are certain things, of course, that you're born with, but a lot of it, I believe, has to do with how you're raised. And with sales, I, a lot of it, I, I believe, has to do with how you grew up. There are certain things that if you had to compete a lot as a kid, whether that's for your parents' attention. Um, maybe you had to compete because resources were limited. Maybe there wasn't a lot of food to go around, money, whatever it might be. You're probably going to be pretty naturally pretty competitive. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know there are people that are really competitive that didn't grow up like that, but there are a lot of things that happen to you at a very young age, and especially in your young adulthood, that really shape natural tendencies that you have. And we're going to talk about that. He calls them inherent preferences. And what he does at one of the companies that he runs, um, Aprinto, is that they really look at these traits and they run these special, it's not just a personality assessment that's like a disc, they actually run these tests to figure out like what their preferences are. And what they do is a couple things that are really interesting. One, just in general, what they'll do is test reps at that company before they place uh, recruits and new salespeople for them. And they'll test because it's different at different sales organizations who the best salespeople are and what some of their preferences are. So are these people goal-oriented? Um, do they have business acumen? Do they value relationships? Do they like to challenge authority? Are they good at listening? Or do they feel comfortable selling themselves? A bunch of things like that. And we're going to go through a lot of these traits. And there's actually a ton of misconceptions that he's finding in the work that they're doing that really kind of goes contrary to what you think it would be. The other thing that he talks about too that's really kind of interesting too for sales leaders is the importance of really sitting down with the entire leadership team to figure out what the ideal salesperson looks like for you. So if you're interested in psychology, personality traits, sales DNA, you're really gonna love this episode. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Alex. So what do you think is the 
and we just said before we hit record that we should have hit record like 10 minutes ago. So this is, we'll kind of catch people up on what we're talking about. <laughs> but I think an interesting thing to start with maybe is what do you think is the least understood part about being in sales? Like from people that are not in sales? That's such a good question. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what selling is. And I think it has a bit of a bad rap where people have it in their head of maybe the stereotype used car salesman, a bit sleazy or, um, or, or the other one is, you know, just cold calling people and interrupting them whilst they're having dinner. You know, I think that's kind of the stereotype, which I think is massively misunderstood because in actual fact, good salespeople, the best salespeople I've ever worked with coached or, or who've coached me, um, were actually really curious by nature and incredibly good at asking questions and actually spoke a lot less than the people they were trying to sell to. So I'd say that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that to be in sales, you have to be good at talking. It's like, yes, but actually it's the the listening and the ability to ask questions that's more important. You know, what's really weird is do you find just in your personal life with friends in just making friends, do you find that it's actually kind of hard to find people that are just genuinely curious about other people in general, even outside of sales? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but uh, since you've asked me, yes. I think most people aren't as curious as perhaps they, they should be. And I think it's one of those traits that when you meet someone else who's really curious, mm. you can actually, you just have a better conversation. You know, yeah. what about you? Like, do you, do you find that sometimes that it's, it's harder to find or that people in general are not as curious as perhaps they could be? Yeah. Well, the reason I brought that up is that's something my wife, Sarah, and I, I talk about her a lot on this podcast. So everyone else will probably know who that is, but you don't yet. Um, we, one thing that we're really focused on and she's really focused on right now is just building closer relationships with friends, like having a really good tight knit group of friends and in meeting people, you know, we kind of find that if we go on like a double date or something with another couple, oftentimes we'll find that we're asking almost all of the questions and they're doing all of the talking and there isn't really any, oh, well, hey, Jason, what are you, what are you into? You know, what Mm. do you do for work? Like that kind of thing. I find that, I mean, I think the distribution is the same in sales. I think it's maybe one out of maybe 20, 25 people in my personal life is really interested in other people. Like mm. we'll really want to know your motivations and what's ex- what excites you. And I find sadly that in sales, my experience with salespeople and being sold to is about the same. One out of every 20, yeah. 25 people is genuinely interested in why I'm looking into this tool or it's, service or whatever it might be. It's really interesting in it that I'll just share a kind of semi funny story before I make my point. But since you brought up double dating, I was on a date recently. It wasn't a double date, a date recently. And about kind of halfway through um, the lady, she says, I feel like I don't know anything about you, but you know a lot about me. And I just said, well, and I couldn't help myself. I just said, well, maybe ask me a question. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I feel like that's how we often approach selling is, is, is it's, you know, traditionally how people were taught to sell or maybe how they think selling is, is they come in and it's like, okay, here's all the cool things about us as a company and all the cool things we can do. Here's all the cool people we've worked with. Um, are you interested? And that's kind of like this, the narrative that people tell in their sales pitches. And I've 
seen got like hundreds of sales pitch decks, for example, slide decks, for example. And yeah. that's the common narrative. Here's about us. Here's all the cool stuff we can do. Here's a bit about our team. Are you interested in working with us? And actually it's completely, it should be completely the other way around. It should be, what are you, like, where are you at today? And what are the problems you're facing? And, and, and then where, where are you trying to get to? And what are your goals and your aspirations? Um, and then once we've understood that, okay, well, here's a way that we can help you get from where you're at today to where you're trying to get to. And here's some credible stories around how we've actually done that for some other people. Should we book in some time to keep this conversation going? That's way more compelling. And when I get people switching to that way of selling, um, their success rate goes up dramatically. They speak a lot less um, and they actually build some more genuine relationships with their customers because their customer actually feels, excuse my French, that they give a shit. Yeah. You know that feeling you get when you connect with someone really well and it's, it feels a little bit like a high, a little bit. Mm. You do a really good sales call and you're like, oh, I felt like I really connected with that person. I wonder how many salespeople actually get that feeling. Not enough. I don't think so. Yeah. Not enough. Um, you know, so with, with, our, with one of my companies, Aprinto, um, you know, what we do there for a bit of context is we create pathways for younger or less experienced people into professional sales careers. So we basically hold up a flag and say, hey, if you thought about sales as a career, professional selling as a career, um, assess them for fit. And we use a piece of smart um, sales DNA matching software to do so. Um, mm and then place them in cool companies and then try and just teach them these basics of like the, the, not, not any particular methodology, but we try and teach them like, what are the basic things that, and you know, the soft skills and um, that are going to help you be successful quicker than if you were just relying on your company's onboarding. So we wrap training around uh, for the first 12 months of what we call our rev up program around these reps. And, and what we found is that these youngsters within months outperforming the existing, for example, SDRs oh, wow. um, of, of, of the organizations we're placing them in because they're just doing things slightly differently. Um, and, you know, there's two parts to it, right? It's one, it's finding people who have the propensity where they're going to be naturally good at selling. And I'll get in, you know, I can talk a little bit about what some of the things we look for that are high predictors of sales success. But then the second part is that supportive environment and coaching. And you'll, you'll know this from the, you know, the, the coaching and training, what you do is when you actually give some support and guidance to people of things that, that genuinely work and that will stand them apart from everyone else who's selling, um, they do better. Yeah. Let's get into, let's get into some of those predictors of success because that's, I, I like talking to folks like you because you have this perspective. It's very broad. That's the coolest thing about talking to anyone that isn't like in a business where they are a sales leader at a company working in a very specific niche with very specific yeah. people. And like when you work with broad ranges of people and companies, you start to see all of these kind of interesting patterns. What do you, what do you see? What are, what are some of those traits? You've mentioned one, I think already curiosity is a big yeah. one. What, so, what other kind of things, what, what surprised you? I actually, I think might be a good place to start. What, what has surprised you the most in what you found? Cool. So I'll just preface it before I answer the question just by saying I'm a strong and firm believer that anyone can be good at sales. Okay. Mm -hmm. They can be taught to be good at it. So, um, you know, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you have these 
some of these traits I'm going to talk about, or you don't, you can be taught to be good at sales because sales is a process. You can learn how to ask questions. You can learn how to listen. You can learn how to handle an objection, you know, for example. But when we're placing people into companies through a printo, what we want to do is we want to start with the people who actually have a high propensity for it and who are likely to stick it out because yes, everyone can be taught to be good at sales, but not everyone's going to want to do it as a career for five, 10, 20, 30 years. Okay. Um, so to answer your question, so that's a little bit of context to answer your question. Um, probably the most surprising one that I'd never thought of before. I didn't even know how you could measure it until we started working with our software partner um, is the idea of the, 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 the inherent preference of being able to speak to authority. Okay. So what does that actually mean? It means that irrespective of my status in the hierarchy, I will feel comfortable and I will talk to you the same way I would talk to Mark Zuckerberg, the same way I'd talk to anyone. Okay. So it's this idea about being able to speak on a level with someone, irrespective of where you rank in any kind of hierarchy. Um, so another way you can think about it is like, do you speak to someone as a peer or is it like a child parent kind of state? So yeah. people will score low in this handling authority, struggle uh, to challenge other people's opinions or struggle to, um, you know, speak to authority or handle authority. Um, how do you measure so that, was that? that? How do you was measure it? Well, questions or something, or what, how do you, yeah, how do you measure that? Um, so we use a software partner called ability map who have built all the, uh, psychometric and so on measures yeah. that, that are actually able to do that. So I couldn't, answer that question specifically because it goes above my level of psychological understanding but to kind of break it down as simply as possible it's through a mixture of behavioral type questions um and then some other kind of assessment like problem solving numerical assessment as well that um gives us a really strong indication about that so that's actually one of the highest predictors of especially new business focused success is the ability to handle authority yeah, this makes so much sense because this is something that uh, I was giving someone some coaching on cold calling a couple weeks mm. ago, and I couldn't quite pinpoint it until it kind of hit me that he was you know, he's calling on these directors and VPs at you know Fortune one thousand companies. Mm. You know, to be a director or a VP at a Fortune one thousand is kind of this person's kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. And when he was talking to them. He was using a permission-based opener, but it sounded like this. He'd say, uh, hey, uh, Alex? Yeah, uh, this is Jason with uh, Blissful Prospecting. Um, look, uh, just a lot of ums. Sounded very mm. unsure of himself. And he said that he was doing that on purpose. He was purposefully trying to sound lost and put ums and us. Not that I think you'd need to be a perfect, you don't need to be a, you know, a voice narrator, or anything like that. And I'm and I is okay here and there. You know what I mean? Sure. But the first 10 seconds of a call, you need to come off as a peer. That's what I was explaining yeah. to them. You know, this person needs to think like they are talking to their equal, regardless of your stature. Mm. And that mm. seemed to really, you know, kind of resonate with him. But I see this a lot. This is, this makes so much sense, especially prospecting on the phone. That first mm. impression, if you sound unsure of yourself, if I'm an executive, I'm like, I don't want to waste my time talking to someone that sounds really unsure if they're even talking to the right person. Yeah. You know? The other side of it is 
your willingness to actually challenge someone's opinion, right? So people who score lower in this, naturally, they inherently don't want to challenge others. You know, it's almost like conflict avoidance. Um, But, you know, in sales, you know, especially if you're, you know, imagine I've cold called you and I'm trying to get you to, you know, switch from your current software provider to, to us, then I have to be able to challenge you in a respectful way to even yeah. consider uh, looking at what we've got, because you might've said to me, oh no, we're really happy with what we've got. So if, you know, if I'm, if I have a low handling authority score, my natural inclination there is yeah. to say, oh, okay, well, that's really good to hear. It's been nice to chat. Whereas if I had score a bit higher in that, it's going to be like, Hey, th- that's great. And I'm really pleased to hear that you, you know, you've got a solution in place. How's it going for you? What do you love about it? And then I'm going to say, okay, and what, what do you not like? You know, and I'm going to ask those kind of crunchy-ish questions or those, those yeah. um, somewhat confronting type questions and feel very comfortable doing so. Um, so people who score lower in handling authority, because with a printer, what we also do is we train existing sales teams as well. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll assess their whole sales team using this sales DNA tool. And then if we pick up that there are people, for example, in that team who score lower in that, that trait, that's okay. What we can do is do some assertiveness training and questioning type training and some other coaching to help bring that up and help them get over their natural inclination. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that because this may go kind of deep, but <laughs> the, because uh, when you say trait, um, how do you look at a trait? Is a trait something that you can change work on? Is it something that's natural? Is it created environmentally? How you're raised? Like, wh- how do you look at traits and where they come from? It's a good question. Uh, a better way to think, we call them inherent preferences. Sometimes I use the word trait. Okay. That's not quite a- accurate. Inherent preference is a better way of thinking about it. Okay. Um, it's like, what do you like doing is a nicer way of thinking about it. Um, the short answer is yes, it can change. So for example, um, let's say you start to get really good at handling authority. You know, let's say that you, you've had some coaching and you start to have, you know, you have a hundred calls. So you're able to challenge someone respectfully and it's working for you. You're going to start liking it a little bit more and you're, you've improved at it. So your um, inherent preference might shift over time. Okay. Yeah. Now, will your inherent preference, if you score, I'm just going to pick a scale. We don't do it this way, but let's say it was between one and 10. And if you're a one for handling authority today, will you get to a 10? Maybe not, but maybe you can get to like a six, you know, it's unlikely you're going to swing all the way, but you might be able to bring it up quite substantially. Um, where do they come from? Oof. Um, I would say it's probably some sort of blend of nature and nurture. Um, I, I, I don't really have the, um, what's the word research understanding to be able to make a call yeah. either way. What about you? What do you think? Do you think these things are you're born with them or do you think you develop them or a combination? I think most of it is learned behavior. Okay. Interesting. So here's what I think about, well, okay. There's, God, I don't remember the name of the documentary, but have you seen the one that's about these triplets and it, it was in the U.S. They split them up at birth. Okay. They were part of like a crazy science experiment, dude. Them and a bunch of other twins and triplets, but what, which is like fucked up, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> but they split them up at birth and they put them into different families. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they share the same DNA, you mm-hmm. know, and 
the three families, one was, you know, a fairly affluent family, upper middle class, one was middle class, one was kind of lower middle class, mm, different mm. styles, all kinds of stuff. And they all turned out very different, very, very different. And the way that they found out that they were related to each other was one guy was in college and then, you know, his friends saw his twin brother in the newspaper for something. He's like, hey, do you know this guy? And they end up meeting and then they figure out there's a triplet too. Long wow. story short, the thing that I find interesting about that and is that they share the same DNA. They just grew up in a different environment. Hmm. You know? And you look at... I don't know, people that you've met in your life that grow up in that have different upbringing than you or their parents, you know, do you know about attachment styles? Attachment styles. sorry, define what you mean by that. So attachment styles are basically there's this, you know, kind of uh, study in psychology where the way that you, the relationships that you have with your friends and significant other are highly related to, uh, correlated to the relationships you had with your parents. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's like anxious attachment style is uh, essentially that when like when conflict comes up, um, I get really anxious about the relationship and I need to figure it out with you right now, Alex. And then avoidant is the opposite of that. I want to leave right. the situation. And it's, it's a spectrum, you know, and the secure attachment is, you know, if this person needs space, I can give them space and I'm not worried about losing them, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, full circle, <laughs> like what we were talking about, like I think of challenging authority, I, I, I always say you know, you need conviction in your voice. And I think the conviction comes from wanting to challenge authority. And I think of if someone is not willing to challenge authority, I wonder how they dealt with authority growing up. Mm. For example, mm. one thing that was t the way that I was raised, my dad was a very authoritative, authoritarian, I guess, in our household. It was kind of like, my mom was always like, you know, wait till your dad gets home, that kind of thing. Mm. So my dad was like, had that presence in my family. So the way that I looked at authority growing up is that you listen to authority figures. Hmm. You don't challenge them. You don't question them. No, you don't do any of that kind of stuff. So that part was fucking weird for me getting into B2B sales. Right. Interesting. I grew up doing B2C sales. So, oh, I need to actually challenge someone that's maybe a decade or two older than me. Because mm. you know, I'm only 32. I'm selling to a lot of people in their 40s and 50s. Mm. But that for me, I had to like work through that. And a lot of that was driven just based on how, what my relationship was like with authority figures growing up. So that's what I mean by environmental. Yeah. Like, it's you interesting, know, right? A lot of your attachment style is driven by the relationship you have with your parents from like the years of like zero to five years old, man. Mm. Do you know what's the, funny? Yeah. Do you know what's interesting about that? Sorry to cut you off. Do you know what's interesting no, about okay. that is my father's quite similar, very okay. much the man of the house authority type figure. Yeah, I rebelled, oh, and, you did the opposite. and I went the opposite way. And and funnily enough, my handling authority score in ability map is like nearly <laughs> off the charts, right? Yeah. Irrespective of the fact that I actually grew up in a you know structured environment, and then went to private school in England, which is extremely hierarchical and extremely authoritarian, almost in terms of how it yeah. is. And I went the other way and rebelled. And then sort of don't didn't respect authority. Um, so I think it's funny. It's so complicated, like this idea of nature, nurture, how much of it is. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to you can wherever you start. So, you know, like we get like a green uni grad or kid come to us at a Prento. 
wherever they start is not where they have to end up. Okay. Yeah. Like we can work on everything. Um, however, what we try and do when we're, when we're placing people is pick the people who at least have a higher propensity to actually enjoy B2B selling because, okay, oh. yes, everyone can be made to be good, but not everyone wants to do 50 calls a day. Some people that's going to be soul destroying for them, yeah. you know? So um, we try and through and, 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 and successfully, you know, I say try what we actually, we do is um, reduce the risk of churn by bringing a little bit of data and measurement into that, um, into that talent search process. Um, the other cool stuff we can do actually, which is a bit interesting is we can go into a company and say, oh, okay, so show us your high performers. So you have a, ten, a team of 10, let's say, a small sales team. Give us your, your, your top three or four and we're going to actually map them to see what their sales DNA is. And then we're going to go find you people that look kind of like that, um, which again has been a, a very different way of approaching it uh, in, in this kind of space. It's so cool. Let, let's talk about some of the other traits. So curiosity on handling authority, what are some of the other ones that's kind of surprised you? Um, the other ones were less surprising, to be honest. So you've okay. got things like listening to others, um, which you'd expect personal selling, uh, mm -hmm. which again, you'd expect. So what I mean by personal selling is someone feels confident to try and influence and persuade someone and they feel confident yeah. to, um, you know, whether it's sell themselves in an interview or sell a product on behalf of someone else. It's, it's like a level of comfort in doing that. Um, achieving uh, a, a goal achievement is another one um, mm -hmm. that we see. Um, business acumen, uh, particularly for new business type roles is, is, is something we see. Um, that does vary a little bit depending on the specific type of role, whether it's a heavily complex sale or not. So for a simpler sale, that's less important, but for a more complex B2B sale, business acumen is becomes increasingly more important. Um, what else? Building customer relationships is another one. So people who yeah. actually like building relationships with others, um, that's always good, <laughs> particularly for um, account manager types. So if yeah. you're looking after customer success or account management, um, building relationships is, is, is really important. It's actually, funnily enough, not quite as important for a new business rep, uh, particularly like an SDR, because it's not... Um, you know, you're not building long-term relationships as an SDR. You're actually more just trying to get the meeting. So it's a slightly yeah. different way of looking at it. Yeah. What, if, what about, um, I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but introvertedness versus extrovertedness. I don't know if you've read the book, The Introvert's Edge. I haven't. I'm familiar with the, the concept though. And, and uh, listen, is it Matthew Pollan that wrote that? I think so. I, I might be wrong. I, I read it a long time ago, but um, it's funny because a lot of the best reps I've seen are not extroverts. They're probably introverts or somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, I'm an introvert naturally. I'm definitely not yeah. an extra. I'm way leaning on the introvert side and I taught myself how to uh, people <laughs> in order to, I fell into sales and taught myself how to people. And, and I had people, yeah. I had the mentors around me who gave me awesome coaching. Um, so any, real quick, the, do you have any stories from when you're younger about how, just so people can understand how introverted you are? 
Oh God. Um, I was like a gamer, man. Like I was a gamer and I I'd read books and game and I didn't really socialize that much. And like, yeah. even when I did that, when I'm talking, when I say that, I mean, kind of age 10, 12, 13, that kind of age. And then even when we did socialize, it was like playing video games, split screen, you know, like that was socializing. Yeah. And I went to an all boys school as well until the age of 14. And then my family uh, moved us to New Zealand when I was 14. So for high school. And then suddenly I was in a mixed school. So there was girls around. And I was like, damn, I don't know how to talk to a girl. I literally like no idea. And I, I've never shared this story on a podcast before, but it's kind of funny. Um, so sometimes like puberty hits and I'm like, damn, I don't even know how to talk to a woman. So I start looking like, and like reading about psychology um, so that I could teach myself how to human, like how to, yeah, uh, get a date. And um, that's funnily enough, what actually got me interested in psychology in the first place, which then got me into sales, um, this idea of influence. And um, then when I was at university, I was still hadn't really figured out what I was going to do. I was studying finance and accounting, right? So again, like quite introverted type careers. Um, And I was a bit lost and applied for an internship at this tech startup and got it somehow. And there was like no job description. And my boss, who's a really good friend and mentor of mine to this day, Lars, he just said, Hey, I've got a list of these prospects. I need you to just call them and like tee up some meetings. And I was calling like, right. Like so out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm cool, but, but I knew a little bit about psychology because of yeah. my reading and so on, but, but I was really green and yeah. he was getting me to call uh, building companies, construction companies and tradies. Okay. Not the most friendly people to call. Oh, calls, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'm just getting told, excuse my French to fuck off about 30 times a day for weeks. So just thrown straight in the fire and that that was that was it though like and and then from there I, I got into doing within within about three months I, I did quite well and started helping out with some other stuff and then within about three or four months I was looking after their partnership with a telco uh formerly telecom now called spark which is one of our largest tel- telco providers and um that was my sales career and then I was managing a team after that all within about 18 months and um yeah, I just loved, loved sales. And actually my first sales roles, parking that first bit of cold calling was all around um, developing partner channels, building and growing and managing partner channels, um, which then eventually got me into doing direct B2B sales. So what does the thought of, if you're going into a networking situation, let's say, and there's a hundred people in a room and no one knows who you are, you don't know know anyone else, what kind of emotions do you have? Oh, absolute terror and panic. Um, yeah. I just did a, I, I, I spoke in front of about a hundred people. We're, we're still yeah. in lockdown here in, in Auckland, but just yeah. before lockdown, I spoke in front of a crowd of maybe a hundred, just over a hundred people at a tech marketers association. And I was talking about how sales and marketing need to work better together, more closely yeah. together. And the, the room is full of marketers. And, and I think I was like the only sales guy in the room. And I literally couldn't eat that day. I'm so nervous. Um, yeah. Like, 
this was an after afternoon slot or lunch or afternoon slot. I couldn't eat that day. I think all I had was like a cup of coffee, like absolutely, excuse my French, shitting my pants. Um, but I just forced myself to do it. And, yeah. you know, afterwards I had people coming up and saying, hey, that was like the best talk of the day. That was awesome. And I'm just thinking, wow, obviously I'm a good actor, but because um, I was hating every moment of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? You're obviously a bit of an introvert too. So. Oh, same thing. I love public speaking though. I love running oh. trainings. I love, I love doing that because I am not, although I am kind of the center of attention, I'm helping other people. Right. So I'm okay with that. Um, I used to also perform on stage and I was in a band in high school and through college we played, I played electric guitar. So we played, yep. but again, it wasn't just about me up there. You know, we're entertaining other people is kind of how I frame it. But just going to a networking event, even now where I don't know anyone, it's just like, oh God, no, this mm. is going to be really hard. It's going to be really draining. You know, mm. I think it's important for people to hear that kind of stuff because I think that people, I think extroversion and introversion is very misunderstood first in that just because you're an introvert, that it has more to do with how you re-energize than, you know, the activities that you like or don't like doing just because mm. you're an introvert doesn't mean that you don't like public speaking you know, um, or don't like sales or whatever, how much of the inherent preferences do you, do you find? I'm kind of curious, like if you were to anecdotally talk to a bunch of people mm. that had some of these inherent preferences, would you pick up on them right away? Because it doesn't sound like, like what is so different about your process is it sounds like these inherent preferences or these individual idiosyncrasies are more important than like a personality type. Yeah. It sounds completely different than that. Cause all of the stuff I've seen is more personality type driven. I'm like, mm. eh, I don't, I don't know. I have the same personality type as a lot of people that are not mm. in sales. They would never do sales. You know? <laughs> That's right. The short answer is it's very hard to pick the stuff up. For example, in an interview. Yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's hard to know that someone it's hard to guess someone's handling authority score from a conversation with them because yeah. everyone's on their best behavior in an interview and you know that they're, they're, they're really trying you know inherent preference is like what people naturally fall into that's what they like doing okay yeah. so it's um very hard to pick this stuff up um and just actually just going back just to something you were saying earlier actually it was kind of interesting this idea of introverts and extroverts or in general, I think. And the, and the reason why it's important to do things that make you uncomfortable is that you just get better at them. And, yeah. and, and not only that is if you do things that you find uncomfortable, you get better at all the other things in your life too, because yeah. by doing difficult things or things you perceive to be difficult, you grow as a person. Um, so my approach and it's probably one of the reasons that i got into sales in the first place is maybe i'm a slight masochist i don't know but it was this idea of doing something that i find really difficult but just get better at it and and yeah. and, and prove that you can do it even though you're not an extroverted person who wants to talk to people all the time like actually that's okay mm -hmm. you can learn how to do that and um it's it's like anything right you know if you're not particularly good at numbers and with accounting go and learn that skill because it's super useful. And, and by, in the process of learning something hard like that, you're going to get better at all the other things and learning in general. Um, that's just kind of how I philosoph 
philo philosophical. Oh God, I can't speak. That's my philosophy around it. <laughs> That's why yeah. I love that. Um, but yeah, back to your thing around in these inherent oh, preferences. If we could park actually on that, I want to park it. Yeah, on what you said. Um, God, I can't remember who I saw talking about this, so I can't give them credit, but. I think a lot of this has to do with your identity and how you perceive like who you are. Mm. And I think that you can use as a, I can only speak as an introvert, as an introvert, I can use my introversion as an excuse not to do stuff. Sure. So in sales, when I think about, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I don't like to cold call. I, I, you know, it makes me uncomfortable to talk. Like you even saying that out loud and telling yourself that, oh, I'm not good at this. I don't like to do it you're you're identifying as a person that's not good at that or doesn't like to do mm. it i think a lot of these inherent preferences like you said are like they're pretty flexible yeah you may not become a 10 out of 10 on at something if you're a one out of 10 but you could get to that five six seven to where it's manageable and it doesn't get in the way yeah. of you getting better results and i think that self-talk and you know james clear talks about the identity piece a lot with just habit building mm. you know he gave that ex have you read atomic habits I actually haven't. No, worth I've a read by of, the sounds of it. It's it's a pretty good read. Um, I mean, if you consume any of his articles, you'll get kind of a, a lot of the gist of it. But one thing he talked about with people that were quitting smoking was the people that were more effective in these studies were people that said when someone said, "Hey, do you want to smoke?" Instead of saying, "I'm trying to quit," say, "I don't smoke," because the person that says, mm. "I don't smoke," does not identify as a smoker. The person that says no, I'm trying to quit, identifies as someone trying to quit. Mm. And you kind of think about how that translates into your self-talk. This is not even like a woo-woo thing at all. You know what I mean? It's not uh. even in that territory to me at all around how you talk to yourself about how you sell and what you're good at and what you're not. And, and saying things like, well, I'm an, I'm an introvert. That's why I don't like to go network. You know, it's really easy to say that because maybe you're just not good at it. Mm. You just need to practice at it. Yeah, it's like naturally, I don't love a networking event, but I'll go and meet 50 people and have a great time yeah. actually when you're doing it. Um, but the first time I ever did it was terrifying. Second time was still pretty scary. The fifth time was less scary. And now it's minorly, you know, now it's a minor feeling of, and then you just get yeah. into it. Um, and then, you know, actually a good illustration of this is, and I don't mind sharing this, like one of my weakest traits, actually my absolute weakest trait is displaying consistency. Okay. Like oh, I yeah. displaying consistency that came out. I think if I'm remembering it right, that was like my lowest trait. Um, and um, what does that mean? Well, it means that I've had to create structures in my life and get really good at using a calendar and have a really good routine in order to ensure that that natural, you know, you could think of it as a natural weakness doesn't get in the way of what I want to achieve. Right. So I create, you create an environment that stops you from actually letting those things get in your way. Oh, I love that because I think we're actually, if you compare us just based on what you shared today, you you're like, Hey, I have no you know, problem handling authority. To me, that's been something I've had to learn how to do and consistency would be, would rank really high for me. I've always right. been very consistent with stuff. So I haven't had to have as many systems for my time management and productivity because my OCD just kicks in and I'm just going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Yeah. But with the authority thing, that, that makes a lot of sense where it's like, literally this is stuff I process in therapy and like, you know, read books on where it's just how I perceive 
what I am doing in that moment, mm. challenging 40 and just like being comfortable with like it being okay to challenge someone in an authoritative position because I spent most of my life not doing that. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of interesting what you said there around like just kind of understanding what your inherent preferences are and then, you know, where do I need to double down to create more systems to remove That's some right. of the thinking from this, you know? Mm. Yeah, look, it's a fascinating space and we're very lucky to work with such an awesome software partner on this yeah. um, who's helped us to really just, um, I guess, take go to a slightly different depth in terms of our approach to assessing both existing sales teams and potential people for sales yeah. roles. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really quite powerful actually to see it over the last, just under a year. We've only been going for about a year with a printer powerful to see how it's worked. What about on the other business that you run sales leaders? Cause you work with a lot of groups of sales teams and sales leaders in there too. Is there any other kind of patterns that you see in there that maybe would surprise people, even if it's just anecdotal around leaders or how they manage their people or anything like that so sure look for context sales leaders that's just a trading name it's just me um and it's just do i do a lot of advisory work for tech companies mm. um really everything from pre-revenue startups right the way up to big corporates now um i never planned to do corporate consulting corporate advisory but i got yeah. dragged into that space um not kicking and screaming actually it's been awesome but kind of unintentionally dragged into that space. Um, what have I seen? Okay, so here's something really interesting. If you've got, say, you know, you're a corporate and you've got a sales leadership team of 10 sales leaders, okay? They all think that a good salesperson looks different. Oh, yeah. They all think it looks different, but they're not all right. Not all of them are right. Yeah. They all are looking for different things. But when you actually, and again, you know, I've actually I've done this with a corporate through, again, using our software partner, Billy Map, who's gone in and said, okay, what is the sales DNA? Like, what is the DNA that success looks like in your environment? And, yeah. and we do what's called like a want, have, need analysis. So here's what you're telling me you want. Here's what you've actually got. And here's what you need. Okay. And um, it's very, very interesting to see the difference between what they want, what they have, and what their top performers actually have as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a bit more than anecdote, but that's um, something interesting to think about if you're, if you're a sales leader is, or, or, or you're leading sales leaders, is that you're all looking for slightly different things because we're all slightly different. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting, I find that so much of just relationships and then also in business too, is a kind of calibration of how you look at things, your perspective versus the other people's perspectives yeah, and like calibrating those and making sure that everyone has a similar kind of language that they're mm. using to talk about the ideal salesperson or how to sell even the sales process. I'm sure you've seen a lot too, where a lot of people believe in very different methodologies and different ways of selling and all this other stuff. Do you find anything um, like on the sales leader side, do you find any kind of generational themes? Um, probably less than you might expect. Yeah. Um, 
I'd say in New Zealand, and I say this with all the love in the world, we're, we're a bit behind um, in terms of our approach to sales. Um, yeah. I think there's probably some cultural components to that. We, you know, we're not quite as um, loud and proud maybe as, as yeah. other cultures are. So I think that probably comes into it. We're a bit more understated. As, as a nation. So I think that translates into how we've sold, but then also from a structure and process perspective, we're also quite, we're a lot behind. And I noticed this yeah. because I, through my career, I worked through kind of small to medium growth companies, Kiwi companies, and then also a big American globals, global kind of corporates and saw yeah. the difference just in terms of how they approached selling and sales process and, and sales coaching and training and development. And, um, you know, it's probably less of a generational thing because I've seen it, you know, I've worked across now about just over 120 different organizations in the last two and a half years or so. And um, it's less generational. I think it's more just New Zealand in general is that we're a little bit immature in terms of how we think about selling. Oh, interesting. What kind of cultural stuff, what do you feel is different about the culture there in how people view selling? Is, is it a lot of like how, like the people that getting into the career and what people look at sales as a career? Or is it like what your prospects think of salespeople? Like what, what is it? There's, I think that if I look at the startup ecosystem in particular, um, there's this idea that great products sell themselves. Oh, okay. That is very prevalent. And that yeah. sales is kind of like the afterthought and it's changing. And I've done a lot of work to try and help change that in the community. But, um, you know, that's probably if traditionally how it's been is it's all like, oh, the product will sell itself if it's good enough. Um, yeah. And then just beyond that, I just don't think there's been anyone really championing B2B sales in New Zealand as, yeah, or just championing it in general, actually certainly not championing it as a career, which is what we're doing with Apprento. It's like, we, we really, we're trying to say, hey, this is a cool career, you know, young people, you can go earn good money, have an awesome career, learn some awesome skills and, you know, set yourself up. No one's really done that before. Um, whereas, you know, I look at America, for example, and, you know, sales is thought of like a tech sales job is a, is a damn good job. People want to get into tech yeah. sales because it's, 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 it's a, it's thought of as a um, desirable job, you know, yeah. especially, um, in tech, you know, cause you could work at a company like LinkedIn or Twilio or whatever other, you know, kind of company. I don't know why Twilio came to mind, but you know, you can work for some cool companies. Mm. Uh, all right, dude, we got to take off here in a couple of minutes. Like, uh, <laughs> we, could, we could probably go for another hour, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, my question for you is like, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a first time seller, knowing what you know now? It's a good one. Um, curiosity mm -hmm. would be something I'd have really drilled in to myself when I started out. I think I was 20 when I first started out in sales. It took me probably five years to figure out the real importance of asking good questions and listening versus yeah. trying to sell. Dang. So how would you get yourself to be more curious if you were talking to your old self? 
the way I teach it to youngsters as they're coming up now is I'll say, you know, rather than trying to convince the person you're speaking to or people you're speaking to about how awesome your product or service or you might be, instead go into every conversation with the mindset of, I want to understand as much about this person, their job, their company, what's going on in their world as I can. I want to understand as much as I can. And if, and then through doing that, if I figure out a few things that I can help them with, awesome. And if not, point them somewhere where they can get the help that they need right now. And that's the mindset that I try and instill through coaching people. And that's the mindset I try and live myself. Um, and I've found that when I switched into doing things that way, sales happened so much easier. I didn't have to discount. Um, and I had more people coming to me because I was just adding value through the sales process. So, okay, it might not be right today, but I gave them some good advice and sent them somewhere else. But then they came back six months later or referred me someone else. And um, I think intuitively that's the right mindset to have when it comes to selling. I don't know. What do you think? I love that. Yeah. I, uh, it's, I think a lot of people say, oh, you got to help when you're selling, but people don't really live it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They aren't doing what you said where they're willing to turn away someone and say, you know what? I don't think we're the right fit for you, but I know someone that is. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to introduce you to so-and-so because they're really going to be able to help you. Like that should get you excited to help them. Mm -hmm. Not as excited as closing a deal, obviously. <laughs> no. no, no commission but, check with that. Not in, yeah. not, in, not in the short term. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that, man. Um, dude, this has been great. Where where can people go to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing? Where should people go for that? Best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So Alex McNaughton, M-C-N-A-U-G-H-T-E-N. Uh, you can find me on there. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about Apprento, you can find us at uh, apprento.io. Um, yeah, but LinkedIn's probably the best place to connect. All right. That was a fun one. Really enjoyed jamming with Alex. Like I said, I've gotten to talk to him a couple times now and the conversation's always been great. Great dude. Make sure to go check his stuff out. I thought that the challenging authority one was, was very interesting. I mean, it makes sense, you know, when you think about it, but if you're listening to this and you're uncomfortable challenging authority, I wouldn't get like discouraged by that. I actually look at that as an opportunity and uh, a guy I consider a mentor, Anthony Ianarino, what he shared with me, um, God, this must have been less than six months ago that really kind of changed my life is he said, what makes you uncomfortable will hold you back. And I really thought about that and I was like, shit, there's so much that makes me uncomfortable just in the work that I do. And if I don't confront those things, you know, and slay those dragons, that's going to hold me back. So if challenging authority and your prospects not being an asshole to them, but just challenging their way of doing things makes you uncomfortable. Really lean into that. It's probably telling you something. So I uh, appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I got one ask, as usual, before you take off. If you got value from this episode, could you share it with one person? It really mean a lot to me. We're really focused on growing the show, really focused on getting great guests on. And one thing that really helps to do that is when we can get more people just like you listening to it. That's my ask. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next episode. 